This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. There's an old saying in life that if anything's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And that was kind of the motto of Wolferman's Grocery Store. You may not have heard of them. They started up in the 1800s and lasted all the way into the 1970s. And then the big box stores came to Kansas City and Wolferman's went away. But if they could have hung on a couple of more years, I bet they'd be the most popular grocery store chain in Kansas City right now. Here's the story of Wolferman's and how they changed living in Kansas City. I guess in life, Diane, timing is everything. And timing was right and timing was wrong for our friends over at Wolferman's Market back in the day when they started what would today, I think, be an awesome grocery store in town. Maybe ahead of their time too much, huh? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I hear stories, and of course, this is beyond my time, too. I hear stories about the Wolfermans and the and the way their markets were set up, and it, it's iconic. You know, we kind of talked before about how it reminds us a little bit of Straub's, but I almost want to take it to like a Trader Joe's level a little bit because of the uh, the way that they were able to kind of market their own brands um, and give, give Kansas city good things to eat, which was their slogan. Yeah. That's a really cool slogan. And it, and it kind of really works for them because if they didn't have it, they essentially made it here in Kansas city and, and really brought new things to the table, whether it be the, the lambs hanging in windows or cheese or, you know, fresh dairy or produce that was fresh. Like these guys were on the cutting edge of, of really the grocery business here in Kansas city. And you look back in the day and it's like, all right, that's a cool spot then. But it seems like what was old is now new again. And I think people kind of like that smaller-ish type of, you know, market, if the you boutique. will. As to, yeah, as opposed to like a big box store. I mean, it seems like, you know, the big box stores are kind of dying around, you know, not just in the grocery business, obviously, but like in, mm-hmm. in everything, people like that small hometown feel. And Wolferman seemed to have it way before anybody else was doing anything like this. And really before grocery, the grocery business and trade had adapted so much even into the 1950s, the suburban housewife era, if you will. And so even what they carried, what normal, what grocery stores were almost like general stores back in the day, you know, they carried everything. If you wanted oysters, which would be like a huge delicacy back in these days, it was in a tin can, right? And you had to get those imported from somewhere. And yes, you could get them at the grocery store, but maybe you couldn't get fresh vegetables that came from somewhere else. So to kind of combo everything into this location, well, their first location and um, pioneering uh, gourmet foods in Kansas City when Kansas City still had dirt roads is pretty amazing to me. I mean, I just think it's a great story. Well, it, it is. And, and it really is a great story because it, it, I don't want to say it happened on accident, but it happened because, you know, somebody saw an opportunity, but mm-hmm. then it also continued on because 
the son was told this is what you're going to do. And, yeah. you know, we, as, as a parent, I always tell my children, I know what's best for you. I know what's best. You need to follow <laughs> my lead. And, and Wolferman's was kind of the same way where Pops is like, all right, man, I got this grocery store for 500 bucks. You're going to run it. Okay. And, and, and son Wolferman's like, nah, I want to be a doctor. And Pops is like, no, you're running that grocery store. Yeah. I guess it did turn out best for him. It, it did. But can you imagine in today's world, if someone said, I want to be a doctor or a lawyer, and then that's like, no, you're going to you're going to operate the corner store. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, I mean, back in those days, school wasn't even that expensive. So the fact that he, he had a mission, he was on a mission and this would be uh, Louis Wolferman, the father, and they were all immigrants from Germany. They were, you know, they came over first and went to uh, Wisconsin um, and then, you know, landed in 1881. And there's a lot of misconceptions. I was actually kind of surprised to learn that People say that Fred Wolferman, the son who the business is named after, was born in Wisconsin, and he certainly was not born in Wisconsin. He was born in Germany and came over with his uh, sister and his parents and originally settled in Wisconsin and then moved from Milwaukee to Kansas City because dad like went on a, a trip to Kansas City, probably because of the stockyards because he was in cattle raising mm-hmm. and ended up, oops, bought two lots. And he's like, now what do I do? Well, come on, family, we're going to move to Kansas City. So it, it was almost a necessity to move to Kansas City. But he wasn't like trained. It's not like he is, there's no record that says Louis Wolferman was trained in Germany, or his dad owned a store, or this was like meant to be in any regard, but he kind of founded his own destiny in a way, which I think is amazing. Um, and, you know, Fred Wolferman, the, you know, the son, if you will, he was born in 18... Uh, for excuse me, Louis Wilferman was born in 1845. And so they come over and, and Fred's pretty young and they go through the Milwaukee. They come to Kansas City. Of course, business is booming 1880s in Kansas City. Sure. And and essentially he, he ties himself like this because it, Bob, you know this, but I was kind of into pickle making this summer. <laughs> I went on a pole pickle fiasco. I mean, with COVID, really you had to do something. I mean, oh, right? you had were, to do something to kill time. I still have a jar for you, actually. Oh, good. Um, yeah. So in 1883, he arrives in Kansas City and ends up picking up the business with a pickle dealer down in the West Bottoms. They're making vinegar and pickles. I'm like, I like them already. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a pretty what good- a weird thing, though, to just to start making. Like, why, why you think like, you know what we need to do? We need to start a pickle and vinegar business because that's what people in Kansas City really need are pickles and vinegar. Like you look at pickles yeah. and vinegar almost like as and I'm going to use a really impressive word here, like an accoutrement to something. Wow. Not something that you go into business doing. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start a pickle business because I don't know how many how much money even back in the day is involved in, you know, distilled cucumbers. Well, true. You got to remember but preservation was everything back in these days, though, too. Yeah, you know, true. so, I mean, you got it. Vinegar was a lot more of a necessity back then it is today, especially if, you know, people were making their own ingredients. If you're at a farm, it's a whole different story. Now you're in Kansas City. It's not like you're going to have a little mini, you know, Kirby cucumbers growing in your backyard, unless you're Diane Houston. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those, that was just kind of, I, I say a natural progression. There were a lot of weird businesses at this time, but the fact that guy can barely speak English, he finds some Germans that own a pickle company. And he's those like, can I get in on the pickle business? And they're like, sure. So he's in on the pickle business. It only lasted four years to be clear. And then he sees a bankrupt grocery store at 317 East Ninth street. And he's like, I'm going to take out an, a, a second mortgage on my house for 500 bucks. He buys it up and poof, you know, his son is telling him, Fred Wolferman is telling him, dad, I want to be, you know, I, I, I want to go, I want to be a doctor. And dad's like, 
no, um, naming the store after you. And this is what you're going to do. <laughs> so we were like, no choice whatsoever. You, you great plan, sir. But no, you're going to be, you're going to be in the grocery business. And I mean, thank God he did, or Kansas City would look a lot different when it came to the grocery business in early Kansas City's history. Well, I, I think what's interesting about that too, though, is like, you know, sometimes your parents are like, you know, just go out there and do what you want to do and be on your own. And sometimes they kind of set you up for life. Like the thing is Fred Wolferman, not that he didn't work his tail off to make it the best grocery oh, store God, in yeah. Kansas City, because he did. And they had the slogan, do something and be the best. But he was, he was given that opportunity by his parents. And I think, you know, me being a, a father and obviously you being a teacher with all the students you face and see every day, you want to put them in the best possible positions to be successful in life. And Fred Wolferman's old man did that. Like he did exactly what a parent is supposed to do and put them in, in the best possible position to succeed. It's so true. And I, and I like what you said too, because I think we, we underestimate how hard it was too. I mean, just general work, how the grocery business is tough. Have you ever worked at a grocery Brutal. store? I mean, hell it's, no. It's the hard. <laughs> I, I've done everything from like produce to stocking to checking and all that mm -hmm. stuff when I was a kid. And you really get an appreciation for hard work because I I don't know that there's any business that you have to work harder in as yeah. a, as a kid or anybody than than that grocery business. There's constant competition, so you've always got to find a way to be better than the next guy. Yeah, my dad, I mean, he graduated, was in college, he worked through at Milgram's, which was like a price chopper back in its day. Um, all throughout, I mean, that's what he did until he became a pilot. He couldn't get a job as a pilot. My, my mom married a guy who was a stockman at a grocery store. You yeah. know, I mean, it is hard work. I mean, my dad, like, built himself up to like a buyer or something like that. But still, it is a lot of work. And, and Fred Wolferman, Mr. I don't want to do this for a living. They had a horse named Fanny and there's a lot of stories about Fanny and there's a picture of Fanny. If anybody wants to, it, I, I found one, there's one photo of Fanny outside of the original store and Fanny was their horse. And it was like during the week, Fanny ran the grocery route and on the weekends, Fanny was had, you know, hitched up to the carriage for the family. So Fanny worked seven days a week wow. and um, you know, Fred would get up at four o'clock in the morning go and fetch Fanny in the barn outside of their house. I love it. It's like, they live uh, like right in the heart of Kansas city, 15th and like Charlotte. Like, let me go, let me go out to my barn. <laughs> at the barn at 15th and Charlotte, which is 15th yeah. and Charlotte today. You're in the middle of the city right now. For real. And so, you know, they, he, he would go get the horse, feed the horse and get himself ready. And by five o'clock in the morning, he was at the store grabbing the orders for hotels and then delivering to hotels. So they started, Wolferman's became very well known in Kansas City for being a um, delivery service as well, which I mean, like the original DoorDash, <laughs> these guys were delivering or, you know, people order their groceries now online. This was, they would just call up and they'd tell them what they needed and they'd bring it to them. Um, and so he got up, I mean, this was hard, hard work. And they did, you know, there's some stories about how the store, when it wasn't originally busy, that, and of course they only hired Germans because, you know, dad only spoke German for the most part. Uh -huh. um, the, the, this clerk that they hired pretty early on, he and uh, Fred Wolferman would stand on each end of the store and throw cranberries at each other and catch them in their mouths. And they got like real good at it. So I guess business wasn't booming at first, but, and also he's a kid yeah. to do something. Like, I would do that today. So sure. I, mean, I got no problem with that. But what's interesting is that they uh, Wolfermans really set themselves aside because they were, they were getting fresh imported products. And you can imagine how hard that would have been at the time. Mm -hmm. So when things were out of season in Kansas city, like 
I mean, think of it, oranges, apples, those things that we wouldn't even grow here. Normally apples we grow here, but some of those fruits that we wouldn't grow here or can't grow here would be complete delicacies in Kansas city. And it would have been something a lot of people had never tasted before. And he made sure he had buyers and people out there all across the country and world really getting the products that you couldn't find anywhere else. And that really, you know, formed a pretty unique position in the marketplace in Kansas City. And, you know, at that point, Fred, when they started, you know, seeing that they could bring in all these different um, items like peas, tomatoes in the in the winter, tomatoes in the winter, Mm -hmm. back in these days, that would be pretty incredible. Um, Cucumbers in the winter. And he finally kind of came to terms with it. and, And I loved it because he said, if I have to stay in the grocery business, then I'll be the best grocer in the grocery business. And he certainly was. And and then that kind of sealed the fate. Once he made the decision that this was it, he went in all in a hundred percent all in, which is pretty cool. Well, and I think there's a, there's a saying like anything in life worth doing is worth doing well. And and we've all been kind of Mm -hmm. tasked over the course of, you know, whether it's your job or life in general of doing something you just don't want to do but if you're going to do it, you might as well go out there and give 100% effort. I tell my yeah. kids that all the time. You may not want to be at soccer practice today or softball practice or school or something like right. that, but you're there. And when you're there, you're going to give 100% effort. And I, I like the fact that that Mr. Fred over there, Fred Wolferman, decided mm-hmm. that, you know what I'm going to do? Screw this, man. I don't want to be doing this, but if I am going to do this, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do it better than everybody else. The dude started a dairy. The dude started yes. you know, refrigerating produce and like things Woo-hoo. that nobody had ever seen before that are like commonplace today but back then it wasn't common but he made it common he sure did and it, it, it all kind of really came to a head about the time that he had made that decision this is it they they upgraded and they moved to like a three-story store at uh, at, t- at 10th, 11th and Walnut. And, you know, they were renting the location and it was pretty, I mean, it was pretty fancy. They had a deli, a, deli, a bakery, a candy shop, a liquor department, mm-hmm. of course, um, in the basement, which makes sense. Keep things at the right temperature. Right. And, and he also, they realized Fred would taste everything everything that came in. And if it wasn't good enough quality, then he wasn't going to serve it. He wasn't going to sell it. It would be sent back. And so what he found is that when they couldn't find the freshest products and they didn't, you know, he didn't think they tasted good enough and they could be better. He got, he said, we only, we only make, or we only buy what we can't make better. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden they're, they they're starting to make their own candy. They're making their own rolls. They, they freshly ground coffee. Who does this? back in these days, and I'm talking 1890s at this point, goes and buys a 500 acre plantation, a coffee plantation in Mexico so they could get the best coffee. Like that's dedication. <laughs> that's dedication to your brand. Yeah. Um, and, and they started doing the advertising of the good things to eat about uh, the turn of the century. And they were making the chocolate layer cakes, homemade jellies, Thousand Island dressing I hear was amazing. Some people have told me fresh marshmallows, they called it the summer candy, um, and even their own grape juice. So it, it, I mean, very quickly, it became that if they couldn't do it, they would find a better way to do it. And like you said, they opened a dairy, which is really interesting, because it's right by where I live um, at 97, I mean, essentially, like off of Bannister and just east of Troost. And I think about what's there now, I'm like, how does this make any sense? But yeah. it, it was there. And it was a large facility that eventually, and that's kind of where Lewis Wolferman, the original, 
he started, he was really interested in the dairy business. So he kind of managed that section while Fred did the business side. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they had chickens, so they got fresh eggs. So it's like, if you went to Wolferman's, you knew it was going to be the freshest and the best cream you could get in Kansas City. So of course, you're going to pay a premium. But that was, you know, that's how they, you know, made their money is by making sure that the the products were quality. Well, obviously, though, Diane, it was something that worked because it wasn't yeah. just one little store that they had. Like, you know, call it a day. All of a sudden, you're looking at you know five stores by the time that they were you know uh, you know yeah. really moving here in Kansas City, and then having one in Tulsa as well. So it was something that obviously people in Kansas City loved. And it, it's it's funny because I'm sure people in Kansas City at that time or anywhere at that time probably didn't know that they needed a market like this. And then once you had yeah. this market like that, you're like, wow, look at all this stuff and look at all the opportunity that it you know it kind of provides to me and it took off like wildfire here and all of a sudden in, in a town yeah. that you know didn't go further south than like what 63rd street at the time you've yeah. got five of these grocery stores yeah. and loving every every square inch of it he was really smart on where he placed his stores so part of the interesting and he was also exceptional at marketing so his wolfermans the cursive logo wolfermans was there from the beginning you know, he, he knew that there was a lot to be said about uh, drawing people into the business. Like when he tied up lambs outside of his building at 11th and Walnut live lambs to try to promote people to buy lamb chops and, and lamb roasts for Easter. Mm-hmm. It backfired because all the women came by and were like, these are the cutest things ever. Nobody bought any lambs. So they sold like all hams that year. <laughs> <laughs> there were no pigs outside, but, um, and then he, he did a mammoth cheese thing. I love, there were two times that he did these 2000 pound cheese logs. That's a I lot of cheese. Logs. Yeah. And can you imagine, like, think about for refrigeration. I have so many questions. So he buys this mammoth cheese in 1908 and he sticks it out. Like they can't even get it into the building. They had to take the glass out of the storefront window and push it in. Mm -hmm. And that cheese marketed for $662 and 10 cents, which today is 17 grand. That's a lot. That's a lot of cheese. But then he did it the next year with cream cheese and they cut it with a piano wire and it was 2,150 pounds, just a little, little lighter. Mm -hmm. They sold out the, that day, that day, like the guy knew what he was doing. So, I mean, he had exhibition type things downtown. Downtown really became the central location. Even before he expanded, there was a, there was a fire, okay? And they had to rebuild the whole structure. And so they ended up building a six-story building. And, and people that would remember Wolfermans, because it was that building was there into the 1970s, they would remember that you walked in and it had this grand staircase with a view of the store. The, the ladies picking up the phones and answering them to take your order were all on display, And uh, they had their Tiffin room, which was their tea room. That's where they kind of, that's where they really got that, um, that push for those fresh ingredients to be offered. Like, Hey, your dressing's really good. This sounds familiar, right? Like this dressing, this barbecue sauce is really good. You should sell this. Oh, we will, you know, same idea with, with, with salad dressings. And eventually when they opened the Tiffin room, that's where the famous English muffins started. And they made those two inches thick and they used a tin can or tuna can to actually form them into the little perfect circles. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, so he had an ice cream plant out at, on Troost. <laughs> like, what? Like, I guess you get your freshest ice cream. So when even when um, prohibition happened and they had to close their cigar and uh, and liquor store in the basement, they opened up like a malt shop. And every day at three o'clock, Fred Wolferman would grab his chocolate soda. I mean, 
the guy, I mean, I guess a creature of habit, they did add on after the fire. So they had the six story building um, and the Tiffin room and they started making all these fresh ingredients and they, they, the Tiffin room also served lunch and later did it dinner. Tiffin pies back then or not? Not, are tiffins or tiffins? Tiffin yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't think that even qualifies in this category of food. Um, they they just became from 1910 on. Basically, that was like the place to go if you were downtown. If you were if you were going out shopping, you know, uh, the ladies would lunch there, business dinners, business lunches. I mean, it was the place to be. Yeah. And so in 1912, he expands. Like you said, we ends up with five locations. The first one that he expands to is really interesting because he goes to 59th and Main, which today it's like oh Brookside. Yeah, sure. But then it's 1912. There's not that many houses in Brookside yet. Like JC Nichols hasn't even spiced into the plaza. I mean, like that is just starting. Are there even paved streets at 59th and May and Maine at the time? Like, are we still riding in negative dirt? Yeah. Dirt. And in in part of it, I mean, some of those businessmen, you know, they made they made some pretty good deals with the government or the city to make sure that those roads became paved with, I'm sure, extra incentives to make sure that that happened. But he knew where the streetcar was going. And so the streetcar was going out right at 59th and Main. And he's, you know, not everybody was not, not everybody had a car. Right. And not everybody was going to have their groceries delivered. And so he essentially opens this, um, this store up before Nichols really even gets his hand in the plaza, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, I mean, he, he was, uh, he's brilliant with all the different gimmicks that he pulled off. He opened in 1918. He took over a grocery store in Westport at 39th and Main. Mm-hmm. It eventually gets replaced with a, a building at Armor in Maine, a really weird looking building. Like he, his architecture, he would go, he could have, he could be afforded to go to the lap of luxury vacation wise. So Fred traveled a lot. And so he, he would model a lot of the things after things he saw in other countries. But so the location, it was a little, little weird, like cement, like the whole building was like cement. I don't understand, but Maybe he was just giving Pendergast money. I don't know. So by 1924, he's got five stores, including the Country Club Plaza. That was known as the Sunset Hill location, which just sounds so, you know, aristocratic. Yeah, you know, like sure. aristocrat. Um, and so he, he's at the first week that store was open, 10,000 customers came through those doors. And it wasn't a huge store. So you can imagine. How I mean, big was Kansas City at the time? Not that big. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember by the 20s now, you've got the plaza. And so really you're pushing south. But really, you are you were right when you said 63rd Street is about your cutoff at this point. Yeah. Um, Kansas City is not that big. And so you, it, but it didn't stop him. I mean, he's doing all this and his father passes away in 1923. So he, he, I think it's great. He lived the life that he did because even though his dad passed, I mean, 1923, the guy already had, you know, like three stores and a couple in the works. So yeah. he saw, I'm sure, you know, I told you so happened a few times out of his mouth. Um, they, they were not uh, hurting for money. Um, Fred's house still stands um, at 5725 state line on the Missouri side. Mm. It is nice. Yeah. 10, I mean, if you know that area, feet. everything around there is pretty nice. <laughs> 10,000 square feet, oh, wow. 1925. Can you imagine? Can what you, do you imagine? need that size house back then for? Why not? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> why not stro- store some extra groceries? I don't know. Because you can is the right answer. Yeah. Why Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, and even, even in, during like depression, he was able to keep everything open, which I think is impressive. And not only that, in the middle, like right as the depression's hitting, he opens a store in Tulsa. 
I'm like, Tulsa, like, I feel like that's a weird location, but he had some connections with family in Tulsa. So that probably made sense for him. And by that time, 1920, 1929, if you figure he started with, you know, Fanny, one delivery. Yeah. In 1914, he had one delivery truck. He bought like an actual vehicle, like an automobile. But by 1929, he had 40 fleet vehicles. Wow. That's wow. crazy. I mean, think of, I just can't even imagine. The, it, it just blows my mind. Um, he was, he, he certainly had the best gourmet store and a restaurant chain at this point, because all those Wolfermans were also, you know, advertising restaurants. restaurants. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it wasn't just, I mean, it, it, like going to Costco, but cooler. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's not kill Costco here. I know, you it's know, my like, home away from home, but, I, but I, 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 I think, you know, his, you know, and, and to kind of circle back a little bit before we get yeah. too far ahead is that sure. what 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 they did back in the, the 1800s and, and the way that they ended up here in Kansas City is kind yeah. of like what we're seeing today, where people are leaving the bigger cities and coming to the Midwest and coming to Kansas City because land is cheaper and you can do mm-hmm. so much more. And, you know, they always say history repeats itself. And because of this pandemic that we're in, people are you know fleeing L.A. and New York and looking for places. And there's a lot of people that are just say, I'll move to Kansas City right now for, for no yep. apparent reason, just because of the, the cheapness of, of the land and whatnot here compared to every right. other country. It sounds like that's really never changed in the 150, 200 years. Kansas City has always been a very welcoming town, too. Yeah, it has and been. We've talked about this several times. This comes up a lot because yep. we both traveled. You've lived in several cities. I've lived in. I lived in St. Louis for a while and then obviously grew up here, but had the luxury of traveling a lot because my dad was a pilot uh-huh. and you just don't see hospitality like you do in Kansas city. So it's such a welcoming place that I, and even for an immigrant, you know, I mean, somebody who could barely speak English, he made his way, yeah. you know, you mean make your way through and, and what a success story for a first generation. He wouldn't even, Fred wasn't even a first generation because he was born in Germany, technically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was such a kind man. And, it, you know, I, I, I think that we forget kindness gets us so far, you know, in, in that if we all just gave a little bit more, we, we live in a much nicer place. Um, mm-hmm. And in big cities, you lose that sense of neighborhood and community. Even when you have segregation, segregated neighborhoods by, you know, and I don't mean like in a bad way segregation, I mean, you know, ethnic neighborhoods, you still lose a sense of your identity when you're in the United States because there's such a push to conform. And um, I think that Fred was the perfect balance. You know what I mean? Like he mm-hmm. kind of balanced what, you know, that hard work determination he learned from his dad um, and knowing what it was like not to have very much growing up without a lot. But then also seeing that in order to make himself, you know, he's going to be the best at it. And yeah. he was certainly successful. That's for sure. Well, and, and, it, and it just didn't end there, though. It wasn't like he took all the money from everybody in Kansas City and, you know, built a mansion and called it a day. This guy was no. charitable as well. Like he's, he's giving oh, back and, and doing things behind the scenes that nobody even knew was going on. That was probably the uh, and, you know, Bob, we you know, I'm I'm one that uh, I do my due diligence when it comes to research. And, you know, I, of course, saw, you know, him giving kids, you know, meals when they were in the hospital and supplying families with different things and, and all of that. But he, and he, he, he passes away, you know, quite young on, I mean, I say young, I mean, you know, in terms of today, I guess it's not that young, but when he, before really those stories that he, those undercover missions that he was doing, those things that people don't know about, which is real charity when you're not talking about it. Oh, absolutely. You know, when your name, you know, your picture isn't on the front page of whatever, you know, talking about society. 
And I ran across this story about him. And um, he was in, in this, and he, I should have said he passed away in 1955. And so this, you know, uh, and he's got still a family in the area today. And I was looking through a file on Fred Wolferman in the store and all of this. And I ran across an email in there was this woman talking about just an incredible story. So I, of course, contacted her. Yeah. And the story is, and this, this woman, she lives in Overland Park and her name's Roseanne and Roseanne's father was a um, Jewish refugee, essentially, right before the war. And he uh, came to Kansas City. Who knows why Kansas City? You know, probably, you know, connections within groups of people. He's 16 years old. He leaves his parents in Germany. And he comes in 1938. So just, you know, on the edge. And he comes to Kansas City and he needs a job. He gets a job. He was trained, you know, a lot of these, uh, it, there were a lot of apprenticeships that happened at those time periods. And he was, a, he was a baker's apprentice. Mm-hmm. So it's like Fred Wolferman's makes sense. The guy's a German too. Maybe he'll hire me. And um, his name was Alfred Coleman. Alfred Coleman comes to Kansas city, gets a job at um, Wolferman's in 1939. And his, his daughter, uh, Alfred Coleman's daughter has all these letters that were sent back and forth between his, his parents and Alfred would send half his money back over to Germany to try to make it for his, his parents. And, and his parents end up in a, an, I'll call it, you know, a con- concentrated area in Gers, France. And they'd been moved there, like to, and not to a ghetto, but to a concentrated area. Mm-hmm. And so Alfred had to get him to the United States. So we asked Mr. Wolferman, he said, I mean, tells him the story. And he says, I need somebody to sponsor them. You can't just bring people over. Right. And not only did Mr. Wolferman, Fred, agree to sponsor him, he also agreed to give him all the money to get him here. Wow. This is in 1941. In one of the letters, I have a little quote here from one of the uh, last letters that was received. Uh, This is to uh, Alfred's mom writing. It says, we are uh, also very happy that you, dear Alfred, were given a raise. Please write us on how much you are earning now. While I am here, your photo keeps me company. It stands in front of me on a little pedestal. And that was the last letter that Alfred received. And unfortunately, the end of the story is not as pleasant as the charity here because his parents were sent to Auschwitz and did not survive. Um, Roseanne, though, wanted to reach out to the Wolferman family to tell her dad's story and to thank them for their, you know, father's kindness, which I just think is, I mean, that, that, are you? I was sobbing when I read this, you know, oh, how I mean, could you not be? I mean, it's, I mean, it's an incredible that story. Tells you, that tells you that a man, that man, Fred Wolferman had a heart of gold to do something like that. And it's not like he was a, a he, to be clear, the Wolfermans were not Jewish, uh, but it, there, there's a, still a camaraderie between like his old country mm-hmm. and seeing what's happening and being like, what can I do? And he found a way to try to help. And it just unfortunately was too late because of the situation that they were in at that point. But Alfred, you know, you can imagine her. She was just like so thankful that her dad obviously got here yeah. and that he was offered, you know, she goes, he hated baking, by the way, <laughs> hated it. <laughs> he did not stay in the baking. He didn't bake for Wolfermans for very much longer, but it, okay. made, it gave him his first job in the United States. So, I mean, that really shows a pretty, pretty, pretty cool kindness on the heart of Fred Wolferman, you know, and something that happened before he died in 1955, and then his son took over the company. So why don't we have Wolfermans rolling around Kansas City anymore? Why can't we go to a Wolfermans and get an English muffin or get any of the you know the stuff that they kind of brought here to KC? You, 
You can still get an English muffin. Hey, you so. got to order it online. Hey, I'll talk like, about that in a second. Yeah, but, but, but you, still, you, you don't have the ability to go into one of their stores. How come they went out of business? I mean, it was it was such a good concept and a great place. Why did it go out of business? Well, Bert Wolf- Wolferman, who was Ivy League ed- educated, uh, took over the business and could see it. He took over 1955. It's the heart of the box store. Yeah. Safeway, Milgrams. It's the convenience of going up the street to the big grocery store. You can buy toilet paper and you can buy fresh peas. Because, <laughs> you know, you know I, that's one thing I love about Trader Joe's until you need like foil. Yeah. Like you don't have foil. <laughs> like, so, I mean, the, Wolfermans didn't carry everything. They were mm-hmm. very specialized. It would be like going to Trader Joe's now, just cooler. Yeah. So they just were ahead of their time, I'll say. So at the, they had six Kansas City locations at their height. They even had little like, um, they tried satellite lo- locations in the suburbs, like Blue Ridge Shopping Center, Ranch Mart, who knew? Yeah. Um, Inglewood Shopping Center. So they could give a little Wolfermans to the, to the suburbia that was growing around Kansas City. It just, they opened a, they opened a, what they would be their most competitive at 89th and state line, right by where I live um, at War Parkway shopping center when it opened in 1962 and built a restaurant. It was the biggest store they had, biggest store they had, but it only took four years. And they're like, we just can't, we cannot survive on this. So essentially it started, it it ended kind of where it started. And so um, in 1972, they closed their downtown store. It was the fine, well, you you remember Bob? You've been here long enough. Do you remember what downtown even looked like in the nineties? Oh, it was terrible. Yeah, it was, it was horrible. horrible. There was nobody there. I don't blame them. Nobody went down there. Store, you know. <laughs> yeah. So so it, it kind of made sense, and the land value was so high, and they knew when they sold the store. The family knew when they sold the store that they were going to tear it down and build a parking lot, which is exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so they decided they were going to just go out of the grocery business that was just too competitive. But at the same time, Bert Wolferman had a son named Fred. So we'll say Fred Jr., even though he would be the grandson of Fred Wolferman. Um, he kind of takes into this account. He goes, we, there's a mail order business here with these specialty things that we have, baskets, and also these English muffins. So he started, he took a 40-year-old veteran baker that had been working for the company forever and rented some space in the Westport area and started making, you know, English muffins, just English muffins. And they, it was called Wolferman's original English muffin company. And, and that was in 1973. And it was about the same time Bert, his father dies. So at this point, they're relying on catalog sales and they're, they end up in Lenexa. They have a facility in Lenexa where they're making all of their foods. So, uh, during the holidays wouldn't be uncommon 4,000 muffin sales a day I'm like that's a lot of that's a lot of calories and a lot of English muffins so he ends up selling the interest to Sarah Lee and then it kind of passes through ownership and it was it was kind of interesting in the 80s though he decided to take over Fairway in Fairway there was an old theater and he took over and he revitalized the whole Wolferman's concept um, in Fairway, and he opened one downtown. So in the 80s, I'm like, Mom, why didn't you ever take me there? She's like, Oh, I didn't. I'm like, No, you didn't. You no, never she didn't. No. She didn't take me there. She, you know, she was probably there without me. Mm-hmm. But I was little too. I was a bit annoying. So and in any case, it didn't last very long. But the muffins were such a hit. So it just people weren't. I don't know if it was marketing or what the case was, but 
they just went ahead and sold to Sarah Lee and then they still had an interest in it. And then essentially Sarah Lee sells it, it goes through some hands to Harry and David in 2008. And so now you can go to Wolfermans.com and you can order English muffins, all sorts of stuff with the Wolferman label. And I will say on the side note, after I wrote this article, my editor, she was like, I said, I've never had them. <laughs> She's like, you're writing about this like they're the best thing you've ever had. And you've never had them. I'm like, meh. And she goes, she goes, well, that's just ridiculous. So yesterday, just yesterday, I hear something on my porch and I, and I get up and I look and there's a box. She got me, I don't know, English muffins for six months. I have more English. I have honey flavored. I've got cranberry citrus English muffins. I've got sourdough English muffins. And I did eat one, like a little one last night. Delicious. Delicious. <laughs> so it's definitely worth going online and ordering some of these Wolferman's English muffins. Yes. And I love the fact they kept the same the same logo. And, yeah. You know, they, they still got the old Wolferman's purses. And, and I think it... it I, I love that it's still offered to everyone. Now everybody in the nation, if they get a, you know get a hold of the English muffin craze, can get uh, Wolferman's English muffins started in Kansas City online. Um, it's a far cry from 1888, at, you know, on 9th Street, where a man and his horse were making deliveries at five o'clock in the morning and working their butts off to to build an empire. But it is a place that you can still get some good things to eat. Wolferman's was clearly ahead of its time, doing things that nobody had ever done. They took chances, they had successes, they had failures, but more importantly, they took chances. They looked at something and said, we have an issue here, let's go and solve the problem. And they did. Wolferman's was one of a kind, and you can still get those tasty English muffins online. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.